Welcome to Eclectica Hub's Yurt Sessions, a podcast brought to you by myself, Demi Lee, and Anna Maria. Eclectica Hub is a visionary dance school, a growing lineage, and an evolving sisterhood with a passion for supporting women and female-bodied people to return to their truest nature through modern-day rites of passage. Our podcast is a platform to broadcast our essence and our womb-centric way of living. It's a place to speak about life, birth, death, sisterhood, revillaging, growth, and everything in between. Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to the community that is Eclectica. Hello everyone, (laughs) welcome back to the potty. We've missed you. We're so happy to be actually sitting in the yurt again today and yeah, bringing this transmission through that's actually going to be around softening the sisterhood wounds and really understanding the roots of dysfunction within our society when it comes to positive relationships with other women. Which is such an ongoing concept and something that's always coming up with our students in our dance school and I feel like we just have so much wisdom to share through tending to the soil of our own sisterhood foundations in the Eclectica Tapestry and Mm. we've all had such beautiful initiations and I think that's what's created such close bonds. Yeah and it is such a core medicine within Eclectica and you know in the early phases and seasons of this project I feel like that was always the point of magnetism for people. Mm. You know we'd be up on stage and sharing these dance transmissions and at that point like we weren't as complex um, as we are now within mm. the the style of dance that we bring through. There was a simplicity and a beauty to it, mm. but people were so drawn to it. And what I always believed that was, was the love glue and yeah. the absolute deep, unwavering love and care that we held for one another. And that was cultivated through the devotion through this project. Yeah, and that's why it's really hard um, even, you know, when people say they want to join the dance troupe because we're not a dance troupe we're just like we're all just best friends so yeah. it, it has to feel like that close sisterhood mm. like deep soul connection more so than someone's talent in I've in always dance. yeah I've always felt like Intuitive. the core troupe was a constellation of stars mm. that were coming back together to remember one another and to come back to that state of wholeness through unity yeah and it's always been just so intuitive so intuitive like someone's circling our field and we're like this person we need to like pick them up and when you know you know pull them in (laughs) but how how are you tell our listeners how is life I'm so good I feel like I've really come out of like a dark and dense time and am really sitting in the beautiful space of self-reflection and hindsight Um, obviously there's been a lot going on for me In the last four months, if you've listened to our previous episodes, you'll have more of an awareness around that. Um, But yeah, tending to my health, tending to my family tree, um, tending to my grief and at the same time doing like quite intensive therapy with an incredible therapist who really has like a somatic approach to his practice. Um, So in this period of time, so much has been unearthed for me that at times has been really, really confronting, um, but equally liberating because I feel like I'm tending to these fractures in my foundation and yeah, cultivating incredible resilience and strength for everything that's opening for us in the next few months. And I'm Mm -hmm. actually fully sitting in the excitement of 
the fact that we're going traveling in six weeks. Like I'm <laughs> jumping on a plane to Bali with my family and you and we're going to have this beautiful working vacation. And I'm like, fuck, like actually my dreams are coming true. Mm. Like it's actually time to celebrate. And it's like, yeah. Life is really fucking hard sometimes. Sometimes we get thrown a curveball or we get thrown a lot of shit to kind of deal with or work with. But, you know, there's always this polarity and there's always gifts on the other side of that work. Mm, Yeah, and then coming out the other side and emerging just feels so much more delicate and beautiful and mm. appreciative because you felt it's opposite yeah. essentially yeah and, and i feel like yeah i'm like past like the skinless chicken baby bird phase like <laughs> your skinless chicken <laughs> you know when you just like feel like you have no skin like the other day me and demi needed to go get me a passport for our <laughs> travels and in the city <laughs> yeah for our visa um in bali for the retreat that we're running and i was like babe like i can't go into the city by myself right now i don't have any skin and Demi literally drove me in there, like held my hand, took me on the train. She was just like holding me the whole way through. And my nervous system is just like a newborn baby. But I'm on the other side of that now. So you're not going to have to baby me while we're traveling. (laughs) It's all reciprocal, darling. (laughs) But I was like, I promise I won't be like this when we're in Europe. And you were like, it's okay if you are. And like those words were so comforting to me. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for loving me and my skinless chicken zone. Of course, always. We've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. That's how you met me. (laughs) Truth. 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 Truth, I'm right there. How are you, boo? I've been having the deepest initiations into leadership, which um, I think it deserves its own episode, maybe one day. Um, But, yeah, just feeling feeling that anything – oh, sorry, that's a dog next door. (laughs) Keeping it casual. Yeah. yeah, anything that's like holding me back from stepping into the most full-bodied leader I can be is slowly being cleansed away and uprooted and shown to me through mm. a series of initiations within friendship, within Eclectica. <laughs> the wolves are howling, doll. <laughs> At least it's on brand. <laughs> Let's just pretend they're not the next-door neighbor's domestic <laughs> domestic dogs. They are. We're in the wild and they're the wolves. <laughs> We've got some wolf allies yeah. here with us. <laughs> Actually, our Bali retreat is called When Women Were Wolves, exactly. so it is on brand. Yeah, it's totally. totally tuned. <laughs> they are. They're howling because we only have one spot left. <laughs> if it's you, they're calling you home. <laughs> but honestly, by the time this episode's released, there probably won't be a spot left. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, telepathically, if you're receiving this, maybe it's you. Yeah, maybe it's you. And with that, the dogs have stopped. So, Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like I've just had such a huge initiation, um, into leadership and it it will, I'll have to go into it a bit more deeply in this episode because it is really, really linked to sisterhood because we work with our sisters Mm. and And I'm a leader for sisters. The stepping out of appeasement in the realms of sisterhood, which can be so abrasive definitely and the switching of dynamics you know like when you're outside a working space obviously all that exists is just mutuality and and sisterhood 
Um, and innocence. Yeah, and play and all the beautiful <laughs> Me things. Me and Demi really, like, miss the innocence of, like, friendship at times because mm. we literally work with all of our best friends. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it calls you into spaces that can be really uncomfortable at times. And totally. I fully see you on that journey. And mm. I'm just, like, so proud of the way you so gracefully take to these initiations. Yeah, it requires, like, a, a massive a massive uh, element of discernment and just being able to speak to things and be able to say no and if you know you can feel these sisters that I have history with that I have friendship with that I have fear of abandonment with I can feel you know temporary resentment um, because I might be making a decision that doesn't include them because it's at best for the you know the vision as a whole and um, that can be it can feel like a lot to hold sometimes but with that I feel like I feel like now I'm in a place where I'm not scared to say no and I'm okay with feeling disliked because I know that they love me underneath it and I know it's temporary and it's it's really beautiful to not feel that appeasement really present anymore because it's, it's been coming up really subtly the last four months and now mm. it's just kind of disappeared and I'm noticing myself just saying, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. And not With holding so back. much softness. And mm. I really feel the way the teachings of the rose have become really integrated in the way that we're existing. And just that that concept of backing yourself mm. and like remaining in your spine and holding yourself in that deep, deep felt integrity yes and with yeah. that all that can be cultivated is deeper respect which I'll speak to later but I really do I have felt since since just this like deep embodiment of my boundaries and what I know I deserve in sisterhood I feel so respected by the women in my life I feel so incredibly respected mm. um, because anytime I speak to feeling disrespected the amendment is everything and yeah. it's so beautiful and to meet each other with like that that humbleness, that openness, being receptive to each other's experiences of one another, mm. all that can be created through that is deeper bonds and mm. deeper respect and deeper trust. Yeah. And transparency. Yeah. Bit of a humble bad bitch, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's the archetype we're exploring at the moment. The humble, the bad, humble bitch. bad bitch. <laughs> Come to our seven-day workshop. <laughs> I thought it was ten. <laughs> I thought you were talking about something literally. <laughs> We'll speak about that offering $50,000 <laughs> to learn how to be a bad bitch. Humble bad bitch. Humble, humble, keyword, but humble. Uh, I can't believe I thought you were being serious. I'm like, what offering? I didn't know that we are doing an offering like that. <laughs> Shows how diverse we're becoming. Anyway, so shall we Let's jump speak? into it? Yeah, jump, jump onto this episode of healing the sisterhood wounds or softening the sisterhood wounds. I mean, it's such a... A deep topic that we have so much to share but I think what um, what's always worth beginning is like the root of the sisterhood wound which is often the mother wound our mm. first relationship with the feminine our first imprint yeah and if yeah. your relationship that you had with your mum if you found it hard to trust her um, or if you felt abandoned by her or if you felt any kind of separation from her, it can make it very hard for you to feel 
like you can open up and trust other women in your life. Yeah, of course. If you grew up around dysfunction, that's going to mirror in your current relationships and those wounds that are unresolved or that haven't been tended to, naturally we project those into the people that we're closest with, mm-hmm. which often can be our sisters or mm-hmm. our partners. Mm-hmm. But today we're really kind of zooming into how these roots of dysfunction impact our relationships with other women. Yeah, and then that wound can be either created or further deepened in our high school experience. Mm. Um, Whether you had a beautiful relationship with your mum or not, I think a lot of us probably experienced some degree of sisterhood wounds in our high school experience if you didn't consider yourself lucky. Yeah. (laughs) Even if it was subtle. And also not to mention like your Uh, experience of having a biological sister as well Mm. if you grew up with a biological sister and those patterns of comparison and jealousy and competition that can so easily play out in sibling rivalry Mm. again that's going to leave you with fractures and imprints in the way that you relate to the world Mm. so I feel like to come into a space of openness when it comes to really letting other people into our hearts, other women into our hearts. It requires us to be in that self-reflection and to tend to those those fractures as a, and those imprints and bring the light of awareness to them so that they're not kind of in the driver's seat of our communication and the way that we're relating with the world around us. Totally, yeah, healing the fractures of our little self and everything mm. that they experienced growing up, especially in family systems. Mm. And, yeah, whether it's your relationship with your mother, your relationship with your biological sister or even your relationship with other women or girls or um, women in high school, I feel like in order to approach sisterhood with a completely open heart, it often require requires us to look back on the timeline of our lives mm. and really reflect on those wounds and feel if they're still activated inside of us. Yeah, and like to reconcile with the self. Mm-hmm. How can we truly reconcile with other people if we're still operating from those fractures? Mm. Because what can happen is, you know, there's a part of you that needs to come up and be in full self-preservation to protect you from that happening again. Mm. I'm going to come up and make sure you never let yourself get close to any other woman because we can't go through that again, Mm. of feeling that hurt, that betrayed, that lied to, whatever that experience was, that bullied. I'm going to come up and protect you and close your heart off and make sure you never allow any other woman inside this space Mm. because it's, quote, unquote, not worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not until we've really, you know, looked at those wounds, explored those wounds and healed those wounds and also experienced the beauty in safe sisterhood Mm. and really dove into everything that's required to create that with your sisters, which is not pretty, which is not easy. Yeah. We don't know what we're missing out on. Yeah. And, you know, people might think about the concept of sisterhood and be like, oh, sisterhood like sounds fluffy Mm. or it feels like it's this really light frequency. But it's literally like healing with your soul relatives, the mirrors that you've called into your life to support you in your deeper states of evolution Mm. and the pillars that are required for sustainable sisterhood and sustainable relationships with other women that are rooted in longevity. It requires deep soul excavation and a fuckload of radical accountability and self-responsibility and courage to be in that transparency with one another Mm. and to build those foundations of trust. You can't just magic trust into a relationship it has to be earned and it has to be cultivated and created Mm -hmm. 
I mean, we've had so many initiations in all kind of clearings like that. We've had so many initiations, <laughs> and I always, I always reflect on the fact that when we're birthing a creation or a business, we birth that wound so that we can reconcile that with ourselves because Mm. obviously our businesses are also our biggest mirrors and within Eclectica I think we've kind of touched on it briefly before it's required a level of mastery for us to reach the level of harmony and symbiosis that we have within this collective and we've really had to learn to embody that integrity and be in that courage to have those conversations to have those clearings to realize that when there's a sister who's triggering you they're simply reflecting something within you and that doesn't mean they can't take any responsibility for the pain that's been inflicted Mm. but it means it's a two it's it's a dance both ways you know Mm -hmm. that meeting in the middle and having that courage to call other people in on their behavior and yeah, to sit in that space of transparency. Hey, it really hurt me when you did X, Y, Z. I felt really unseen. And offering those reflections and allowing that sister the space to reconcile with you. Mm. Because when something comes up, when there's a fracture or a betrayal or a perceived betrayal in a friendship and we don't speak to it, we begin to build these energetic walls between one another and we, we begin to participate in this sense of segregation and that closing off of the heart for that self-preservation of you've hurt me, so therefore you don't deserve my love. And you start to see them in a distorted lens, a completely distorted lens that's based off a series of triggers that were left unspoken. Yep. And then it can things can get lost in translation after that because you've had that imprint of like that time that they did this to me yep. and then it could be something so simple like they don't answer their phone when you call them or they're late or whatever it is and it reinforces that belief that you have about them yeah it feeds the narrative it feeds the narrative which can is often totally based on distortion because when we bring our heart bring our vulnerability and bring the opportunity to clear it with our sister Mm. often what we realize is that it was a misunderstanding or that there was yeah a a miscommunication or we can understand what was going on in their life at that time Mm. that was impacting their ability to show up or not show up and it can just soften all the armor yeah and stepping out of that really narrow lens of one another and I think a good symptom to realize to recognize that something needs to be cleared is just the feeling of tension Mm. and I remember this came up for you and I a few months ago Uh, we were sitting around the table at your holiday house in Bundalong and we were talking about you were talking about your experience with this spider dying Mm. and I had some reflections around your relationship with death with death and the ten- the tension just came through in our mm-hmm. communication and all of a sudden it was like we were arguing <laughs> but like that was neither of our intention and then everyone kind of just like slowly so left, left the us table. and it was just you and me <laughs> and then we were just like okay like what, what, needs, what is this yeah what needs to be unpacked here mm-hmm. and we ended up speaking to all of these ways that we had misperceived us misperceived one another or the ways that one of us had maybe felt hurt and therefore you know closed off a little bit in that self-preservation and you know in the end we were both just like crying and laughing and like (laughs) feeling like so um yeah feeling like so ridiculous for the way that we had been perceiving each other and that conversation wasn't comfortable like Mm. I think we were probably sitting there for an hour or two like really unpacking all the shit and getting like closer to the core root of dysfunction within our relationship so that then we could come back into harmony because 
when we're working together as well, like those clear lines of communication are everything because mm-hmm. it's also the center point of our business thriving. And it's also the ethos that Eclectica stands for. So mm-hmm. for us to be integrity to the movement, we have to be doing that work constantly. But as time has gone on and we've had that courage to have those many clearings with one another, it's not something that builds up anymore. There's no. no residue because we have that comfort and that trust with each other that we can just be like, we can in just say it in the moment. Totally. I was just thinking that when you said recently, I was like, recently? We haven't had anything come up recently. Uh, it was the probably time, like, it was like nine it was, months it, ago. No, it was like a year. Really? Because it was not the summer, just being the summer before that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was like over a year, almost like a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. Time goes so quickly. Um, but what's really beautiful reflecting is like, in that period of our life, I feel like clearing things had a little bit more, took a bit more courage, even if it was just subtle. I knew I could talk to you about stuff, but it was still, oh, I have to go and have that conversation with Anna Maria to talk to her about it. Mm. And what's really nice is sitting here now and being like, I don't have to do that anymore because I just say things in the moment and actually clearing things has become a lot more mundane in the most beautiful way. I don't need to like wait for the right moment and I had this um with a sister recently where she'd been holding on to feeling disconnected from me for a while and I said like why didn't you speak to me about it and she's like I guess I was just waiting for the right time it didn't feel like the right time and I was just Mm. like I hope that you don't feel like you need to wait for the right time like I hope that I can just be you know like walking down the street we're walking down the street to get a try together and you could just pick, like tell me and yeah. it made me reflect on in eclectica there's been times where I, we're about to go on stage and that day i've just said like hey i need to voice before we go on stage that yeah. this happened and i'm feeling hurt and i just need to speak to it right now so i'm not mm. carrying that disconnection on stage mm. and now i don't it's not this build-up of like oh i need to go have this conversation with them especially with you and with Lani, like two of my closest sisters, it's very, very instant. It's done in the moment. I'll just say like, hey, that made me feel disrespected or like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Or whatever it is, it's it's quite instant. I think within that as well, sometimes we're actually not clear on what it is mm. that we need to speak about, but we're sensing a disconnection or we're sensing attention. And that's mm. when we can just say to our sister, hey, like, are we okay? Because Mm. I'm feeling this. Is there anything you need to share with me? So we can also be the initiator. Mm. And I think probably what holds people back a lot of the time is that innate fear of rejection Rejection. for speaking our truth. And it's actually a very primal fear, that fear of being exiled from the tribe. Mm. But when we like come back beyond the imprints of our nervous systems and be in the present moment and be in the love that we have for that person who's sitting across from us to just meet eye to eye and in the lens of equality Mm. to be able to just share our hearts and know that that's actually part of the process of cultivating that trust, that foundation of safety within our relationships. Totally. And I wanted to speak to fear of rejection and the way it can often disguise itself in us because I often hear people say like, oh, I just... I can't be bothered or it actually just wasn't a big deal. It didn't bother me Mm. or I don't want to like create more drama or they're just really busy right now or uh, I just don't want a friendship with them anyway. So what's the point? And there's all these excuses that can Mm. come up when if you dig a little deeper, often beneath all of those excuses is the same thread. Fear of rejection, fear of loss, Mm. fear of being alone, Mm. fear of being unlovable. 
Um, because yeah, what what is under fear of drama? This 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 like fear of conflict. It's like oh, what if we have this big moment and then I lose them? Mm. Or what if they reflect things to me and I feel worthless and unlovable? Mm. But when we can really like hold all of those parts, um, it, it it softens the friendship, and we realize that not speaking is not only doing a disservice to the friendship but it's also doing a disservice to ourselves mm. and our nervous system because it's not healthy yeah. to be carrying around unspoken wounds mm. because they leak. Yeah. They leak. Yeah. Or you, they, they never not leak if they're and not they take integrated. up conscious space. Totally. Yeah, and I mean the energy of resent is so heavy oh, as yeah. well. And when we're feeling resent towards another, we're literally poisoning ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think there is there is a time, though, when time and space can be necessary. And mm-hmm. that might be in an instant where you're feeling so charged that you don't yes. even feel like you can have that conversation no. from a grounded space yeah. and allowing yourself to be in the containment of that energy and to mm. even say to that sister, hey, there's stuff coming up for me, but I'm really triggered right now. Yeah. So I want to kind of try resolve this within myself before we have that conversation mm-hmm. because I don't want to project that onto you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think it also depends on how close you are. Yeah. Like for, for you and me, there's like we've, we've reached, we have reached a, an element of mastery. Yeah. Like you where, could hold me in my ugliness. Yeah. If I was like projecting at you, yeah. you could really like hold that in neutrality mm. and then be able to reflect that back to me from mm-hmm. a grounded space. There's and more I, safety. Yeah. I know I could do the same for you because mm. we also have a deep understanding of the nervous system. And mm. when someone's responding with like anger or resent, they're actually just having a low level fight response. Totally. And to yeah. Look at it in that way kind of makes it not so personal of mm-hmm. like, okay, this person's obviously really feeling a threat on a deep level. Mm. How can I just be in this with them in curiosity and neutrality? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I was I was also, when I was feeling into what I wanted to say in this episode, I was reflecting on one of my sisters. I used to be really so scared of having any kind of clearing w- with her and, um, and so things actually did build up over years and it wasn't even clearing. It was also reflections that I had observed, mm. um, but it was impacting the level of intimacy that we were cultivating because I was obviously holding on and holding in within all these feelings and things that I w- wasn't speaking to. And so the first proper clearing, um, we were lying in bed and I had to say to her like, I'm feeling really scared. Um, I'm really scared of losing you in this conversation and I'm scared of your defensiveness and I really, like, want to invite you to, like, listen to me with an open heart and if there's anything I can do to help build that. And so we just held hands and we just had this, like, six-hour conversation and Mm. it's so beautiful beautiful reflecting on that to now because it's been probably three years and realise with that same sister now I can just call and say on the phone, hey, like right now I'm not feeling respected. I'm not feeling like my time is respected or Mm. that made me feel really unheard and I really desire to feel this way. And there's not that need for like holding hands and it being so fragile, but I needed Mm. to speak to it because it's a really beautiful starting point. Like if you've never had a massive clearing with one of your sisters and you're really afraid of being met with defensiveness or you've just never gone to that level of honesty and transparency, holding hands and voicing what's on your heart. Like, I'm scared that you'll meet this with defensiveness or I'm scared 
um, of just having this conversation. I'm scared of how you'll respond. Mm. To start with that level of vulnerability is instantly a softener. And to be holding hands as well means that you're like, okay, let's try and stick together through this like ugly conversation. Yeah, (laughs) there's no like withdrawing of love or going into that that punishing concept. Yeah, I had a really similar experience, which I feel like was a huge humbling for me, actually. And, you know, what you're talking about at the moment is also practicing transparency, because we've spent so much of our life being in the realms of appeasement or the good girl or the nice Mm. girl. And sometimes being transparent can be quite direct and quite abrasive. But Mm. when it's delivered from a place of integration and love, it's fucking medicine. Yeah. And I had an experience with a sister where things had built up probably over like a seven, eight year period. Mm. And the the lens we were holding of one another had just become completely distorted. And we were both kind of playing with that victim perpetrator role. Like mm. I was the victim, she was the perpetrator and vice versa. vice versa. She was also seeing me in that lens. And when we're in the victim, we're not practicing a whole lot of self-responsibility mm-hmm. and we're not practicing a whole lot of introspection because mm-hmm. we're putting all of that energy out on the other person and the way that they are wrongdoing us. Uh, but we had a bit of like a, a breakdown after all of these things built up and yeah, it was clear that we both really valued the friendship. And so I initiated a rose tea ceremony for us to just come back into reconciliation and to have the space to kind of chat about everything that had come up and all the ways that we were misperceiving each other, essentially, Mm -hmm. but also all the ways that we had hurt each other that we needed to take accountability for and offer that other person acknowledgement and apology, which is such beautiful medicine for the heart when you have been hurt to hear that other person really own that and hold you in Mm. that it's such a profound softening um however this this rose tea ceremony was far more intense than i could have anticipated because this sister actually wrote probably like a 10 10 to 20 page letter wow of things that she wanted to reflect to me and when she pulled the letter out i like saw how many pages it was and i was like here we go (laughs) fuck and i just like took a huge breath and I was like, okay, like I am just going to wholeheartedly receive this without defense. I'm going to keep my heart open and I'm going to be in this experience from a place of curiosity. Mm. And in order to do that and hold that vibration of my heart being open, I literally needed to lie on my back Mm. just to physiologically hold Hold the heart the heart open. And so I lay on my back I closed my eyes and she read me this like one hour letter and you know there was obviously a lot of truths in there but there was also projections and misinterpretations Mm. and while I was listening I was trying not to like flag things I was just trying to kind of let it you know sink into my system and like trust that I was going to respond from a place of love and respond to the things that needed to be spoken to and um, I guess reshaped and reformed within the shared perception of one another. Mm. And it was such a healing experience because even though there were moments when she was speaking that I literally felt like there was a knife in my heart, mm. I was just held by the rose and held by breath as my ally and knowing that, okay, this is going to pass. I just actually have to breathe through this and receive it with curiosity. And it was like the deepest clearing I've ever experienced in my life. And it honestly just like raised the bar for the level of transparency that I want to hold within my relationships and if my friend or my sister can't 
receive in that way for me, you know, there's an inquiry for me there of, well, are they actually able to meet me in Mm -hmm. my depth? And I have to say that everyone who is surrounding me in my inner circle has that level of receptivity that Mm -hmm. I can honestly share anything, even if it actually does come from a projection at times and know that I'm going to be met. Mm. I'm going to be met in that conversation and I'm also going to be able to receive their reflections of me. Yeah, and it also, like, what was really beautiful about that situation that you were just sharing is you couldn't be defensive because there was this letter that she was reading and I'm sure there would have been times where you're like, hang on a second, that didn't happen like that. Or hang on, that's a complete miscommunication because I my phone was dead or whatever it is, but you couldn't interfere because of this letter. Yeah, what I had to sit with was the wound of being misunderstood. Totally. And it's like whatever she's saying is actually just the window into what's happening for me on a deeper level. So it's an incredible experience of discovering myself, as painful as it was. Yeah, witnessing all the parts that come up. And I would also love to encourage that in any kind of clearing If you can just like really practice the art of active listening, because a lot of the time, especially if they're venting and reflecting all this stuff and you're like, I so want to intervene, intervene right now because of a lot of what they're speaking to is actually an illusion because it didn't happen that way. And it's a complete misunderstanding. And I'm like, I don't want them to waste their time, but I also don't want to interrupt them. What the beauty of not interrupting them, letting them have their process, waiting till they finish, is they get a lot of the energy out as well and they feel heard, even if it was all messy and a lot of it, you know, maybe wasn't necessarily true to what actually happened. Mm. And then you have the opportunity of responding afterwards and explaining your perspective or explaining the things that were lost in translation. And I think really trusting each other's lens of one another and being really open to taking responsibility for how you contributed to their experience of you mm. is everything. Mm-hmm. And I find that that's, the, yeah. that's what's needed in order for sisterhood to deepen. You need two people to take responsibility and say, wow, yeah, I can actually really acknowledge what I did in this situation mm-hmm. and how that would have made you feel and I'm really sorry yeah. and vice versa as opposed to like, I've witnessed this, 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 this in you and I'm – that's it. I'm out. I'm out. I did nothing out. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. And there's, there's no opportunity for growth. There's yeah. no opportunity for going deeper together. And because all of the sisters in my life are so self-responsible, that is why I feel like I can, can clear anything with them. Yeah. If I'm clearing something with a sister who is quite defensive, it does require more of me because I'm knowing that I'm likely going to be met with defensiveness and I just have to be willing to kind of hold that pillar and be like, regardless of how they respond, I just need to share my part. If they're defensive, I can say it feels like you're being really defensive right now and just name it. Mm. But when a sister's straight away just like, I totally hear you, I'm so sorry, Mm. we're relevant, Mm -hmm. it's so much easier. And, of course, it needs to be relevant because sometimes you can be sharing something with a sister and they're like, actually – that doesn't feel true for me, that feels like a projection or whatever it is. Yeah. But eventually the more that you excavate, the more you 
kind of reach this ground level and you reach this place where you both can take a level of self-responsibility, even if it was just a projection or a miscommunication. And yeah, always asking the self, what role am I playing in this dysfunction? Mm. And what can I do to bring softness and harmony to Mm -hmm. this situation and circumstance? And I think if you're someone who has a pattern or a tendency to cut people out when you're hurt, Mm. there's really something to look at there. You know, what's the roots of that? Where did you learn that behavior? Because it is a trauma response. And it is a withdrawal of love. But I think where the medicine is, is when we can learn to break through those passages Mm -hmm. where it feels so fucking painful and hard to be there, but to actively put both feet in that relationship. Mm -hmm. Because I think many of us, depending on our life experiences and what trauma we've experienced growing up, we can have a tendency to have one foot out of every relationship Mm -hmm. of knowing if this gets too hard, like I can fucking run. I can bolt. But what would it actually feel like to put both feet in to the container of that relationship and trust yourself and trust your capacity to navigate hard things? Totally. And there's it can be like such a fine line and a dance between knowing that you did everything and sticking by this person and coming from a lens of transparency, self-responsibility. And then also knowing when spaciousness is needed or when yeah. you are feeling like you're maybe not aligned yeah. as, as as friends. Yeah, really discerning yeah. that. Like, when are you running away because yeah. it's hard? When are you actually being in that integrity because this person is no longer serving your evolution? And you can step away with love totally. as well. If you're and stepping acceptance. away with resent there's a symptom of something there. Mm -hmm. There's a symptom of something you've not resolved within yourself. And I think the way to discern is a lot of the time when I witness that kind of self-preservation mechanism, it's like only once or twice that that sister's done something that they perceive is wrong and they're like, nah, not worth it, I'm out, I deserve better. And that's often coming from self-preservation as opposed to knowing when it's best for you is when you've spoken to the things you've reflected you've attempted, you've had a lot of clearings and nothing is moving, nothing is changing and you've tried everything, you're coming from an open heart, you're really taking responsibility for your end and maybe you're not feeling met, maybe they're really, really defensive or maybe you just don't feel understood and you've tried absolutely everything, that can often be the clue of like, okay, maybe spaciousness is needed or maybe that they're just not in a place where they can meet me in my needs of friendship and that's okay, I can still love them unconditionally and send them love from afar and be kind to them when I see them but I'm not maybe going to have that really close friendship with them Mm. because they can't meet me in the ways I need to be met. Yeah, and to preserve your energy if that's necessary because Mm. if you're giving energy and love to something that is essentially, you know, harvesting or sucking your life force and it's not rooted in reciprocity, then that's when it's completely okay to, to not necessarily close your heart down, but to just bring yourself back. Yeah. Bring your energy back it's and come into that containment, loving mm. containment. Mm-hmm. And I think containment's a really important thing to speak to in this conversation as well, because sometimes things do come up in our relationships where we are feeling hurt and we're feeling angry and resentful. And 
Where containment comes into this is learning how to be with those emotions rather than projecting them onto the other person. Yes. Because the second you're present, you're projecting resent or hatred or jealousy onto another person, you're literally sending them energetic daggers. Mm-hmm. And if that person doesn't have a strong sense of psychic resiliency, you have the capacity to make them quite unwell mm. and to hurt them on an energetic, spiritual and emotional level. Mm-hmm. And it's basically psychic psychically attacking someone so when you're hurt and you're feeling that hatred it's really important to request psychic privacy Mm. so that you're not sending those daggers out to that other person and you know that's the same case of when you're feeling like you need to vent to someone we always say that when things come up it's really important for that other person to be the first person that you speak to about that issue Mm. but when there is a really strong charge sometimes Mm. it is important to have another friend or an ally who can support you in resolving that energy Mm. and so if you're in a conversation with a friend about another friend just requesting that psychic privacy and you know practicing that respect and if you're on the receiving end of that for example your friend is having a process about someone who's hurt them making sure you're not feeding into the disruption making sure you're maintaining that neutrality and not victimizing that person and playing into the drama triangle where you're essentially embodying the rescuer yeah i i always when people come to me to vent about another i'm less interested in what that person did or didn't do and I'm more interested in why it's impacted them in such a way. Mm. What is this resentment? Yeah. Where did this resentment first come up? Because What's the wound? Exactly. Yeah. Because often when we're feeling resentment at another person, we can make it so about that person rather than inquiring deeper and being like, what is beneath this resentment? Maybe it's something that played out with our mother. Maybe it's something that played out in high school and that imprint is creating an aggravated part that's being projected onto that person. So when you can actually fully turn the light and shine the torch from them back onto yourself, Mm -hmm. you can self-inquire deeper and realise actually this resentment isn't really about them at all. Mm. It's about this wound or this time in my life that I felt unheard or whatever experience it was. And then you're empowering yourself to heal it within. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you can't have a conversation with that person. But I think whenever a friend is venting to you, the best thing that you can do as a friend is hold them responsible where necessary. Yeah. Of course, like... Like play devil's advocate at times. Yeah. Okay, where are you taking responsibility for this? Totally, because you can feed into someone's wounds, but all you're going to do is further victimize them Mm. and also hold them in that place of stagnation where actually you could be playing a role of helping them to shift through that Mm. and be empowered and liberated in the situation. Yeah. And you can still have compassion, like, okay, I fully understand why this would have been hard for you. I'm really sorry this happened. Your hurt is valid. It's so valid, but, like, what's beneath that, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also what I wanted to speak to is my friends haven't just had the honesty, bravery, transparency to reflect their hurt to me or their wounds to me or clear things with me they also often reflect what they've witnessed in me. And that has been the greatest catalyst for my evolution. It's not comfortable to be like, okay, let let, let me just sit here for a second. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it makes you a better person when you can trust your friend's perception of you, their lens. And I I trust your lens so clearly because I know that you're constantly cleaning it. Mm. And um, 
the difference between knowing when it's a projection and knowing when it's like an honest reflection, I think, is just sitting within mm-hmm. and being like, does this feel true? Yeah. And like, where are the areas where I feel like this person does have a point? Yeah. Yeah. What do you feel um, has been like the most confronting thing that myself or another sister has reflected to you? And how has it been like a catalyst for your growth? I think the d- defensiveness probably like you've said it and then Josh had said it as well mm. like I noticed that you can be quite defensive mm. and that's really softened me and I've really noticed like you I mean you, I'm sure you can speak you to it I'm not yeah, defensive at all you anymore softened so much like I literally think I, I feel like I can reflect anything to you mm. and you actually just receive it with so much grace mm. and like the willingness to self-reflect and mm. for me like that's created so much more safety in totally. our relationship of like oh it's safe for me to be really honest with them mm. because I know she's going to hold whatever I say as sacred in her heart and take it on and embody it Mm. and also feel that permission to reflect to me. Yeah. Another one that I remember, and this is so funny because often later in life when we observe our behavior, our previous behavior in someone else, it it lands deeper in the body. So I think one thing that you reflected to me um, was on this sense of like, leakiness of my it was all in bundalong and I think we had eclectica stuff to do and I was I can't remember who I was in a relationship with but I think I was having relationship issues and I was just kind of reserved withdrawn from eclectica and just having my process and crying and I think you came to me and you were saying like that you didn't feel like a lot of self-responsibility from me and I remember feeling so defensive like what I'm having an emotional response like can't you see that but what you were getting at was the fact that I wasn't taking responsibility and coming in and saying hey I'm just acknowledging that there's this stuff happening in my outside life and it's impacting how I'm showing up for this container and I'm sorry instead I was just leaking it into the space and now being a leader running a dance school with so many women with our sisters in the core I fully can see it I can see when someone's coming in and leaking their emotions into the space and not fully taking responsibility and holding themselves in that and what can happen is it what I mean by leaking is there's a difference you know say you're going through grief there's a difference coming into a group container and holding yourself and having the tears stream down your face and just saying I'm acknowledging that I'm feeling a lot of grief and I'm just present with that right now and And I'm I'm holding it yeah and I'm also here yeah as opposed to coming in and not saying anything and just being like oh what what oh you know like that that's when it's leaking because that's when it's dissociation Mm -hmm. and when someone's in a space and they're in a state of dissociation it basically is opening a portal for all the energy to leave the room and that's where it becomes vampiric Mm -hmm. and within that concept of um defensiveness you're talking about it's also rooted in deflection and when we're defensive we're deflecting because we don't want to receive what this person is saying and we want to throw it back at them Mm -hmm. because that means we don't have to own it and it means that they're they're in the wrong and so those two patterns of defensiveness defensiveness and deflection are really huge things to catch ourselves on and to re-pattern and reprogram yeah because it is the nervous system all of the time Mm, if if our nervous system is feeling activated it is that fight response of like oh no 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 i've got to protect myself and my reputation and all of that and like the hardening yeah hardening of the heart (laughs) and the closing down what's a reflection you've had Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to say From you or from... Yeah, maybe from me. Mm. Put you on the spot there. I'm perfect. (laughs) Honestly, like, 
Nothing you've said has impacted me at all. <laughs> no, I actually can't remember in this moment, but I'm sure mm-hmm. there's things. Can you yeah. remember anything? Not really. Maybe not from me, from someone else. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If it's, if, it's not, if it's not present. I'm definitely not flawed. <laughs> nah, there's heaps of shit. Honestly, like, I have just eaten humble pie so many times mm. in my life. And honestly, the biggest thing was probably that thing that I've reflected that I just shared before of how that sister wrote mm. a letter about me. And it was probably, like, a lot rooted in just, like, a lack of consideration of what other people's experience was like I think specifically Mm. within Eclectica of where I've kind of been in this like leadership role sometimes my lens has been blind to how other people are feeling in the project Mm. and that's been something I've had to learn that didn't actually come in until I went through motherhood and I Mm. came out of that maiden centric lens and I think that leadership calls us into that mother season of life and um, you know I can now look at a collective with so much more consideration of everyone's unique experience and I didn't always have that capacity and to be honest like there's so many things that people have reflected to me in my life that have supported me to become a better person Mm -hmm. and I haven't always been able to receive it with grace as well like earlier in my life I was so incredibly defensive because I had a core fear or a core belief that I was an innately bad person Mm. and so when people were offering me those reflections it was like feeding those narratives of I don't deserve love And I am just a terrible, broken person. And that was only able to be healed through reconciling those parts of myself and being able to sit in the discomfort of someone's lens of me and know that I've got myself and that that other person loves me unconditionally, no matter what they're reflecting to me. Totally. And also being able to not take things personally, which is such a huge part in leadership that I'm really recognising is like when we're in the room in Eclectica, there has to be this separation between employee and employer or, Mm. you know, boss and employee or whatever it is. There's that sense of separation and there's a more authoritarian role. Yeah. Well, there's a natural hierarchy. And I think that the word hierarchy has a lot of stigma around it or gets a bad rep, but it's literally what most systems thrive on. And you can have ethical ethical hierarchy as well. Yeah. And it's, it's needed it's needed in spaces because if we were all each other's boss, we just wouldn't get anywhere. You need oh, someone it's making messy. a call. Totally. Like, also, the times, like a reflection is like the times in a collective world where we're like, let's create a dance together. together and yeah. we're all trying to put choreography together. And it's just, it's like, a f- I don't like that. I like that. Well, I want it this way. Well, yeah, I don't. <laughs> but actually, someone needs to come in with like mm. conviction and be like, this is the piece we're learning. This is the intention. Like, get amongst it. Totally. And that's what I'm learning. And, and it's really, really hard hard because because we've set up Eclectica in a way that is quite um, it can be quite collaboration based Mm. so we can take responsibility for that but then what happens if people are really attached to their ideas and as a director it's not feeling I guess in the best evolution of the the greater vision Mm. You have to say no, and then you can feel those people feeling resented, resentful because their ideas 
aren't or their needs aren't being met exactly and I think that's one thing you and I have had to own and understand in the eclectic container whether it's for our student base or whether it's for the core troop is it's not my job or your your job or eclectic's job to fulfill all your needs Mm -hmm. because that is a ridiculous expectation because we can't sit here and literally breastfeed every single person who's involved in this project Mm. you need to also have your needs met outside of this container and then when you come here you're in conduit mode you're here to receive you're here to go deeper and it's like when we're letting go of that expectation of what something needs to be that's when we truly can expand into the medicine of that experience absolutely and I think when when you work with friends when you work with sisters that that appeasement response can come up so subconsciously like I noticed earlier this year that there was this appeasement part of me that was like, oh, maybe we can make this idea work or maybe maybe we can because feeling that person's emotional response at the possibility of it not being included in the story mm. and feeling their resentment was just so big that I was just like, okay, let's just make it work because I don't want to feel this person resenting me. Yeah. But then in my gut and within like the alignment with the eclectic spirit, I was like, this doesn't feel like it makes sense in my body, in my instinct as a creative director. This doesn't feel like it's in support for this vision and the story, which actually isn't about anyone's individual needs and whatever they want in the story. It's about something completely different. And so feeling that part of me that wants to appease and breaking that chain to now I noticed myself go upstairs recently and say to all of our eclectic sisters all of your grief is valid and all the dances that you want to be in is valid but nothing's changing that was so hard yeah (laughs) Okay, so I have a dance studio at my house and it's where we have our rehearsals and Demi was like sitting in my bed and you were looking a little fragmented and disheveled. I was like, I can't be a leader anymore. Yeah, you were like, babe, you were like, just such and such is having a process and I just can't be bothered. And I was like, babe, you just need to go up there and lay the law. And Demi literally like marched up the stairs and she was just like, I just need to voice something. And you just said it with so much conviction. I was like, yes, babe, be the rose you are the rose I'm like sitting downstairs like doing a happy dance for you and I also felt how everyone just received you with so much respect Mm -hmm. because it came from such conviction and integrity that there was no room for people's processes because you didn't need to entertain them because you were so assured in what felt true to you absolutely and it's just saying like your grief is valid and I'm holding you energetically in that but at the same time We're not going to change anything as a result of it because that's not what's going to support the greater vision. So if you just take your individual needs out of it and think of like what's going to support the story of humanity, if I zoom out of just my own experience and think of what's going to support this vision of humanity, then often it doesn't even involve the self. You know, sometimes Mm. I'm like I really want to be – I mean, in last year's show I really wanted to sing and your instinct was like it's – going to be too hectic we just need four really really strong singers and of course there was this grief part of me of like I want to be in this piece but if I zoomed out I was like actually what's going to support us in telling the story in the most potent powerful way doesn't involve me yeah at all yeah and like you're in the leadership role for humanity and I was in that role for when women were wolves and I had so many of those initiations and 
um, literally like cutting the choir from nine people yeah, to four, four people was such a test for me. But again, I just like held it with so much conviction that people were just like I bowing to the service of the vision. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course, that makes total sense. And actually, like something really big came up for me when I was in that leadership role of there was a dance that I felt wasn't congruent with the vision and I wanted to take it back, take it out. But I was waiting for someone to be in solidarity with me because mm. no one agreed with me. And I still look back and I'm like, my instinct was right. That dance didn't need to be in the overall show, but I didn't break through the appeasement at that mm. point. And actually, I think that played into me getting sick because it was unsustainable. The fact that we had to put so much extra energy into this additional dance piece and I was overriding my instinct that whole time, which mm. was draining. Mm-hmm. But now I look back and I'm like, I wasn't in my backbone. I was mm. waiting for you or someone else to yeah. be like, yeah, you're right. Let's do it. I'm in solidarity with you. But the truth is, like when you're in leadership, there's going to be times no when you feel completely you. alone. Yeah, There's no one there to save, save you. Yeah. And you can't be banking on that solidarity because you have to be in solidarity with the self. I've had such an initiation with that because you've been a bit more absent from the eclectic container recently which we can I'm sure speak to later or in another episode um but I felt like oh I could feel that absence of usually you and me we have the same feelings towards things Mm -hmm. and I could feel you not there to back me and I knew I had to have this hard conversation and I said to one of my sisters because I could feel she agreed with me I was like can you be an ally And I ended up apologizing to her and I said, I'm so sorry to even ask that of you because that was actually a reflection of me not trusting myself Mm. to be able to stand in that conviction alone. I needed someone to back me up because it's, you know, me with eight of my best friends, nine of my best friends. It's like, I don't want to stand alone and everyone be like, but why? But this, but this. But what I noticed is when I can fully back myself like that time recently when I marched upstairs, everyone was just like, okay. Yeah, it makes it easier. Yeah, and it's like that stern mother. People want that as well. They want. Yeah. They want because that when the stern mother is fully embodied, there's no room for maiden tantrums. No, <laughs> because the maiden will throw a tantrum because mm. the maiden is so identified with the self mm. that they can't always look outside the lens into the collective and the community. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what's really sexy? Tell me slow fashion Mm. and supporting local ethical brands which Mm. actually brings us to today's sponsor which is Flair Street which is an Australian owned ethical slow fashion label. Dem do you want to tell us a little bit about Flair Street because I actually know you're obsessed with them. (laughs) Low-key obsessed. (laughs) Yeah so Flair Street are one of my favorite labels they make really groovy bell bottoms bell bottom flares yeah that look absolutely amazing on everybody nostalgia doll (laughs) yeah literally they make you feel like you're fresh out of 1969 on stage rock star energy which let's be honest that's an era we all connect to yeah And And if you don't, you're missing out. (laughs) And they do look good on everybody. And that's actually a huge part of the ethos of the brand is that they're super size inclusive. They want people to feel good in their body, feel good wearing these flares. And not only that, like they're really made to last as well. Yeah, I've had mine for eight years and they've accompanied me in my battered suitcase all around the world through festivals Mm. and bus travels. So I can second that. Oh my God.
God, I'm definitely bringing them to Europe. And that actually says a lot because I only have 20 kilograms on my suitcase. Mm. They've made the cut. They've made the cut. They've made the cut. (laughs) And one other thing, like it's so nice to invest money in slow fashion as well, because these are the items that you will literally treasure. These are the items that you're going to be making memories with. Definitely. And actually prioritizing slow fashion in your life means that you're in deep kinship with the earth Mm. and the cycle of the earth, which is something that we're super passionate about. Hopefully our listeners are as well. And Flair Street are also really sustainable and ethical and all of their prints are made from toxic free printing, which is great for the skin, keeps Mm. the skin happy, but also like every aspect of their production and process of creating these flares is rooted in good values, good ethics, sustainability, and caring for the earth. Yeah, so much love and intention really goes into designing and creating these flares. And I'm sure you'll really get that sense if you go onto their website, which is www.flarestreet.com, or you can search them on Instagram by searching Flare Street. Thanks so much, Flare Street. We love you. Love you. One thing that I did want to speak to is another root of the sisterhood wound, which we didn't speak to in the beginning, which is, um, you know, the witch wound. Mm, Because if we think back to like the early days before colonialism, women depended on each other for survival Mm. and they cooked together. They lived in the village together. They bled together. They really looked after one another. And then with like the early rise of male-centric Christianity and, you know, the patriarchy and capitalism, obviously any woman in her power was deemed a witch. Mm. And the women in that time really had two choices. They could either betray their fellow sisters and submit to the new way of living. And throw one another under the bus. Exactly. Literally in a act of survival to protect yes. the self. Yeah, or risk getting killed, getting mm. ostracized, getting prosecuted. Yeah. And that wound still lives on in today. It lives on in the blood of our ancestry or even in just the energetic fabric of the earth. And some cultures are still mm-hmm. living in that paradigm and you know, understanding that those imprints and those memories, they're in our DNA, Mm -hmm. that distrust of other women, that innate or not innate, that programmed sense of betrayal or that fear of betrayal. And just recognizing that millions of women were burnt or tortured or killed or prosecuted simply for being their innate selves Mm. during those times. And I think that's where there would have been a huge installation of internalized misogyny mm-hmm. of these beliefs that the communities were being indoctrinated into were then being, you know, indoctrinated into the self and projected onto the other sisters in the community. Yeah, we became brainwashed into thinking that any of our sisters that are in their power are dangerous. And yeah. we see that play out. You might feel you know, even women online tearing you down for being in your bigness, being in your leadership because Mm. we've been programmed to really despise leaders or despise a woman speaking out, being big, being expressive, being in her eros, her sensuality, whatever it is. Mm. We've been innately programmed to tear each other down and keep each other smaller and to see that as a threat. That tall poppy syndrome and rather than seeing a sister in their bigness and being like, I am that, you know, shrinking into the shadows and pedestaling that 
person mm-hmm. and therefore remaining in the smallness and the stagnation when actually that person's always going to reflect a potential to you or a fear of your potential. And of course, if we're coming from the lineages that experience these witch hunts and these witch trials, there's going to be a huge fear of coming into your power. Mm. And I felt that when I started doing ancestral work and I even started birthing the Eclectica School that there was a part of me that was terrified to step into this because there had been lifetimes that I'd lived or lifetimes that my ancestors had lived where it literally wasn't safe to be big. Mm. It literally wasn't safe to be your true self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can still feel that in your bloodlines. Of course. Definitely. And I think that's where it's really powerful to alchemize jealousy. If you are seeing another sister in her bigness and that triggers you or if you're seeing another sister's success and that triggers you, You can alchemize jealousy by asking yourself, what is it that they have that I want? Mm. And see it as an invitation to incorporate more of that into your life. Mm -hmm. Instead of trying to make them smaller, see them as radical inspiration of like, okay, like instead of it being a threat, it's an invitation for you two to step into that, for you two to celebrate that. Because otherwise that wounding, it just keeps being reflected. And I think we can all relate on it reflecting in, in, in high school and also in the media that we're being fed. If I think of like, especially the media from the 90s, mm. that bitch archetype is so glorified in Hollywood. The gossip, speaking mm. about one another rather than to one another. Even on reality TV, it's mm. like viral. Totally. And if I think about the shows that I grew up with when I was in that really impressionable season of my life, like teenagehood, it was Gossip Girl, Mm. um, Mean Girls, Sex and the City, all these shows that have these depictions. What's the word? Depictions, yeah. Depictions, okay. Definitely that works. Yeah, all, all of these <laughs> shows that have these depictions of female relationships that are rooted in distortion and mm-hmm. jealousy and backstabbing. And, you know, even thinking about Gossip Girl, like oh, the whole Girl. show is founded around this concept of women who are tearing one another down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's rampant. And we might not, we might think, oh, like lighten up, it's just Hollywood or whatever it is. But we are like sponges when we're teenagers. We mm. absorb that. And I do believe that's why there is so much toxicity within high school systems. I mean, I'm not, we're not in high school anymore, but I'm sure it still exists. Well, I remember and in high school, it's like that behavior of like the bitch archetype or of this concept of popularity or mm. clickiness, like that was glorified and romanticized and therefore integrated into the system that we were within. Yes. And it was completely, it's so normalized in our culture for women to speak about one another rather than to one another. Mm. It's it's so, like, in my high school experience, I don't remember any of us really speaking to one another. Mm. Well, it becomes an act of survival. Yeah. And I know that's what happened for me in my early teens. I actually left school when I was 16 because of bullying. Um, but then I ended up being in these really toxic friendship circles because those wounds were unresolved within me. Mm. So naturally that resonance just kept calling them in to teach me. And I remember participating in that behavior as a desperate act of survival Mm. like I needed to survive Mm -hmm. in this dysfunction therefore I needed to embody it and mirror it because I didn't have a strong sense of self then I didn't know that I had the option to not participate it had become a part of the culture yeah yeah and it's the only thing that you can do to make sure that you're not kicked out of the tribe Mm. and judgment as well I think that like 
subtle judgment of one another. If someone does something that you don't agree with or you don't understand, there's just like that is like a really normal frequency. And I think when I met you girls, I was like, oh, whoa, they just love me unconditionally. Like I could go murder someone and they would still be like, you're the most amazing person ever. (laughs) (laughs) Probably need to like sit down and unpack that. (laughs) But you would still love me, right? (laughs) Now, Demi, let's talk about the murder. (laughs) What came over you? What part of you was taking the wheel in that moment? (laughs) What was the wound? But unpacking it, but there's still love. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, un- like I'm not saying that totally. you love me and just yeah, you yeah. know allow me to do whatever the fuck I want without consequences. Yeah. You hold me to a high standard, but there's always that unconditional love, and I never feel judged by you. Mm-hmm. And I think in high school, like I felt so loved by my friends, and I loved them so much. But we were all judging each other on a very, very subtle level, whether it was someone's like emotional response in a moment, or whether it was like. For me, I started experimenting at festivals with psychedelics and stuff, and I felt really judged of, like, oh, you've changed. Mm. Like, all of a sudden you're doing this. And just, like, yeah. that that very subtle judgment. And I can take responsibility for the fact that that was just really normal in yeah. our sisterhood, and I would do that to them as well of, like, oh, yeah, then they did this. Or, like, oh, wow, they were just grumpy that day. Or yeah. th- there's just that subtle undertone of charge And, like, that lack of, like, really stretching your heart and being like, okay, maybe they're doing something I don't understand. Well, it's the curiosity lens. Exactly. And compassion lens. And I think it's important to speak about the experiences we have in high school because it's like, oh, well, whatever. It was, like, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But it's like, well, these are also, like, our foundations. Mm -hmm. And when we are at that age, we're at a highly impressionable phase of our life where we're literally absorbing the interactions of the world around us and creating our sense of self and our foundation. And so reflecting on your experiences in high school and reflecting on how they still show up in your life is hugely valuable. Totally. And I think a massive key to building closer bonds with anyone, not just your sisters, is approaching all misunderstandings, all triggers, all elements of charge in the heart with an with curiosity rather than assumption. Mm. Assumption sounds like, how dare you do this? Yeah. You did this, that well, blame. Well, it's putting the perpetrator exactly. lens on the other person. As opposed to, hey, like, what did you mean when you said that? Yeah. Or, like, can you just tell me a bit more about this circumstance? Mm. And just approaching it with curiosity, a lot of the time our assumptions about why a person is behaving the way that they are is wrong. So curiosity is everything and it gives you a window into the totality of their experience and it can Mm. give compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, like, especially for me in high school, I think there was a lot of judgment and assumption that my skinniness, because I lost so much weight after I left high school and I was going through a breakup, was because all of a sudden I was a drug addict, Mm. which I wasn't. Like, I was, you know, doing some psychedelics, but I was in heartbreak. Rather than the concern. Yeah, of like, what? okay, they've they've lost a lot of weight instead of like they've changed, they're all of a sudden taking drugs and partying too much of like, hey, I've noticed that you've lost a lot of weight. Are you okay? People are saying that you're taking a lot of drugs. Is that true? Mm. Just inquiring deeper. And I think just also catching the energy of judgment. You know, Mm -hmm. when we're judging someone for something, 
becoming introspective and putting the torch back on ourselves and asking ourselves, where has that behavior played out in my life? And have I practiced compassion for myself? Mm. Because if I haven't practiced compassion for myself in that instance, I'm certainly not going to be able to practice compassion for that other person. Totally. And I think judgment also often like what's beneath that can be fear of loss. Mm. And that's where I can soften for my high school friends in that period is I think that them seeing me in that state and seeing me lose that much weight there was that fear of loss Mm. and so judgment came up to protect them from like having to hold that or do anything with that Mm. like that deep concern of just like they've changed whoa can't no back Mm -hmm. off you know and I also just want to like reflect on firstly like how these early experiences shape us but then how terrifying it can be to enter into a new paradigm. And Mm. I remember when powerful, embodied, compassionate, beautiful women started coming into my life, like I was actually terrified because Mm. I had been so hurt that, you know, it was hard for me to open my heart. And I remember like one of my girlfriends who was new in my life, like linking her arm around me at a festival and cuddling me and my body literally going Mm. into this like intense, like, freeze contraction of like why is she being so nice to me Mm. you know like having the distrust of like oh this um expression of niceness is a tool of manipulation what's the catch yeah what's (laughs) the catch because I had had these previous experiences that had programmed me to believe that and to be in those narratives and you know, when we're speaking about sisterhood not being fluffy, that's the truth. Because for me to get to the point that I am now, I had to do a fuckload of de-armoring mm. and deconditioning around my heart and around my willingness to actually lean into love with other sisters. How did you de-armor? And how did you decondition? I think awareness was a big piece of like feeling those contractions in those moments and just reminding myself that I'm safe. Mm. And the fact that I had done a lot of self-development and when I broke out of those toxic friendships, I literally had a year of my life where I didn't have any friends. Mm. I had my one high school friend that was just like my ride and die. And I actually just got really intimate with being lonely Mm. and did you know, self-development during that period of my life. And when women started to come into my life again, they were different. And you've got to create it for yourself. Yeah. And the only way you can create it is through embodying it. Yeah. If you're embodying unconditional love, self-responsibility, transparency, that is the frequency that you're going to attract back. If you're embodying bitchiness, toxicity, you're going to attract that back. Yeah. And anytime someone says to me, oh, she's toxic, it's Mm. like, oof, there's something there. There's a judgment. and Well, there's also, it's not just a judgment. There's a piece of toxicity within within you you that's resonating with that. Because yeah, that we, word toxic as well. It's yeah, it just feels it's like overkill, it's isn't it? it is. It's like no one is. Well, it's toxic. really rooted in like victimhood as yeah. well, and like a lack of accountability for what we're embodying, and therefore the lessons that we're calling into our lives. Because yeah. we're always looking at ourselves in other people. I don't know how I yeah, feel about this. Yeah, the, the toxic sisterhood, toxic femininity, tos- toxic masculinity, because it feels like it's not compassionate Mm. and actually I see it as like hurting well what's a better word like maybe it's dysregulated dysregulated femininity hurting wounded yeah wounded Wounded, definitely yeah wounded sounds so much more all-encompassing and and understanding and human than toxic yeah because that toxic behavior is just a byproduct of the wounds beneath that Mm. and I think that that requires compassion 
rather than just being like, that person's toxic, if we can come at it again through curiosity and really trying to understand what's played out in their lives that's contributing to that behaviour, yeah. then there's no separation. Yeah. All there is is heart. And you know what? Like, you don't need to be Gandhi or Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> it's okay to fuck up. Like, even a few weeks ago, I was, like, raging to you about someone else. And I was just like, this and that and this and that. And I was so angry. And then I sat with it for 24 hours. And I was like, fuck. Like, that's all me. That anger mm-hmm. is me. That has mm-hmm. nothing to do with them. Like, mm-hmm. they're maybe pressing the button, but this is mine to mm-hmm. hold. Yeah, Totally. And that's the gift of introspection afterwards. And that's the gift of people holding you accountable. Mm. Okay, I'm hearing you and all of that's valid, but why is there so much charge and resentment here? Yeah. Where is that coming from? Yeah. Where did you learn that? Mm. Mm. (laughs) Oof, juicy episode. And there's just so much more we could talk about, but that would have to go into another episode, I think. I feel like we could definitely leave it there. Yeah. Thank you for listening, guys. Give all of your sisters and the women in your life some loving, some hugs, lean in, Mm. let it be ugly. And where can you reflect on these roots of dysfunction Mm -hmm. in your own life, in your own story? And, you know, actually take this podcast with you and and integrate the things that we've spoken about. Have those conversations that you've been putting off, like flag and track your patterns of avoidance and withdrawal and, you know, allow that to bring you into a deeper state of safety within the way that you're relating with the world. And a great starting point for like needing to have these harder conversations is vulnerability. Vulnerability. If you can come in with vulnerability rather than anger, because vulnerability is just the softened version of anger. What's Mm. usually beneath anger is grief. If you can come in with that vulnerability and invite softness then hopefully you're setting yourself up for like an opportunity for your sisterhood to deepen and you get to understand each other's emotional landscape in a completely new and beautiful way. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And staying with that thread of curiosity. Always. Always. A limit assumption. Come in with questions. (laughs) Is that like a quote or something? No, I just made it up. (laughs) If you want to quote it, it's Demi Lee. (laughs) Screw Gandhi. (laughs) Who needs Gandhi? I don't even know who Gandhi is. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I don't have a face to the name right now. Really? I know he's like a god. I'll show you a photo of him. He's not a god. (laughs) He's like a spiritual leader. That's what I meant. Yeah, guru. That was the word I was looking for. God guru. Potato, potato. (laughs) All right. We love you guys. We love you. Thank you for listening. Humanity is almost sold out. We're bloody stoked, mate. 20 tickets left. Three weeks to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be a busy few weeks for us. We're deep in the portal, um, but so grateful to have these moments to connect with you all. Yeah, thank you for listening. Love you all. Mm -hmm.